0: Do you know what your love language is? Do you know what love languages are? If you are in a blended family, do you have any idea what your stepchildren's love languages are? Today, we speak to Ron Deal, who is the co-author of Building Love Together in Blended Families, The Five Love Languages, and Becoming Step Family Smart. He is a marriage and family author, conference speaker, and a licensed therapist. He is also the founder and president of Smart Step Families and the director of Family Life Blended, which is an initiative of family life. He is also a podcaster for Family Life Blended Show. Today, please welcome Ron Deal to the Teaching Your Toddler Show. Hello, this is Mary Jo Timlin from Teaching Your Toddler, and today our guest is Ron Deal, who is an author, teacher, and therapist, and we are going to talk about his book, Building Love Together in Blended Families, which is a a co-authorship with Gary Chapman from The Five Love Languages. Ron, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you. Tell us a little bit about your background.
1: Yeah, well, thank you for having me. Um, It's really an honor to be here. I've been looking forward to it. So I've been in... Um, marriage and family education and ministry and therapy for about 30 years now. And so I've worked in a number of places, um, currently work for a very large nonprofit that works internationally that uh, pours into couples and tries to equip them for successful family living and parenting and things like that. And I run a division called Family Life Blended. Um, We specialize in working with blended families and so that's everything from helping couples uh, make sense of what's going on in their life in their home and helping their children as well as helping community leaders therapists i do therapist training and ministry leaders who maybe work in a local church or a congregation setting who are trying to help couples where they live so we we kind of do both ends of the spectrum equipping couples for life and equipping leaders to help couples
0: it's amazing. I'm so I'm part of a blended family. And and I'm always shocked, considering how many there are of us, how limited the resources are. So it's wonderful to talk to you. It's wonderful to find out about this resource for because I do believe that um, a lot of us are struggling. And we're trying to make this work. And it's really, really hard, which we'll talk about a little bit, I think. Mm-hmm. So your book um, is with Gary Chapman. How did you all get connected to put this book together? Yeah, that's a
1: good question. I've been a fan of Gary's and his work, The Five Love Languages, for many, many years. And actually, um, I've been doing what I've been doing for almost 20, well, close to 30 years. And he was an early endorser of my work. And so we became friends. We met at a conference. We would meet up every year or so and have a conversation, have a meal and talk and And one day it occurred to me, I've written, this is one of nine books that I've written on blended family living. Of course, Gary's written prolifically about a lot of things, but it occurred to me that one of the things that Gary has not addressed as it relates to applying the five love languages is the unique circumstances that apply to, to blended families. So we were sitting there having a meal one day and you can imagine I was very nervous, you know, talking to one of my heroes saying, um, I think you missed something, you know, and all the work that you've done (laughs) and he's super humble man. And so he was very open and just said, yeah, tell me, tell me what you're thinking. And I said, well, Everything you've written about the five love languages, and, you know, maybe we should talk about what those are in case somebody listening is unfamiliar, but so many people are familiar with that concept. that uh, A lot of people, you can just assume they kind of know about it. But um, I said, it's all based on an assumption. And he said, what's that? I said, the assumption is the person you're trying to love and find their love language and love them that way actually wants you to love them in that manner. What if they don't? or what if they're confused about you loving them in that way? What if you know the heart of what really communicates love for somebody, but they're unsure they want you to love them in that way? And he said, you're right, That that is an assumption that's built into all of my work. And I said, you know blended families don't start with that assumption of familyness if i can use that word i like to make up words by the way
0: i like uh, that word i was going to ask you about that word so let's talk yeah, about that yeah, later yeah yeah
1: let's we'll do that so they don't have the assumption of familyness like step parents and stepchildren have to figure out how to become family for one another and a step parent who's eager and and very much wants to step into this child's life and they have goodwill towards that kid says, oh, your love language is physical touch? Well, I'm gonna give you a bear hug. And the kid's like, get out of my face. I don't want
0: to <laughs> Don't touch me.
1: <laughs> don't touch me, you know? I, I mean, I just, that's way too much. I don't know who you are. I like you, but I don't like you to that degree. Like, I don't feel that comfortable with you in my life. And so all of a sudden, what is meant to express love becomes a source of conflict. And that is a very common real experience were people in blended families and so he and i decided we've got to write a book we've got to talk about how to apply them the love languages and how not to apply them and why all of these things happen what are these nuances in blended family living to make sense of that for people who who just don't understand why we did a little survey before the book mary Jo. i'll just end with this and 70 percent of people who were already familiar with the five love language concept were confused about how to apply that in their blended family. That told us we need to write this
0: book. Absolutely, for sure. So really quickly, could you just briefly review what the five love languages are?
1: Yeah, well, first of all, the concept is simply this. You love somebody, whether it's a spouse, a child, a friend, and and you wanna be able to communicate love to them in a way that is really meaningful and so just like if you were to go to a foreign country where they speak a language different than the language your native tongue you would want to learn their language in order to communicate in ways that they fully understand and hear and receive what it is that you're trying to communicate and so it's sort of like that Um, there are five very common ways that people express love one to another and Everybody needs all five, Mary Jo. A lot of people get confused about this. Everybody needs all five, especially young children. We're talking to parents of toddlers today. They need all five constantly because it may be around age five, six, seven or so that, they be, that their one primary love language begins to sort of float to the top and you can begin to see it. But don't start trying to focus on one thing too soon with, with young children. Um, and then I would say even adults need all five but there are moments where you really want to communicate something meaningful and when you want to do that um, go to their primary love language because it really hits their heart uh, more strongly or deeply perhaps is the way to say it than some of the other languages so the five love languages are words of affirmation that it complements and somebody saying something that makes you feel good about yourself that builds you up gifts anything that you give to another person. And as Gary Chapman says, it could be a rock, you know, but if there's meaning attached to the rock, you know, I saw this rock today and it has a certain shape and it made me think about who you are and the character that I see in you. And I just wanted to give you this and say, I really love that about you. That meaning is the gift, right? Mm. Sometimes you spend a little money, doesn't have to be a lot, but it's the meaning behind it. Physical touch physical touch, touch on the arm, on the elbow, a hug, holding hands with a spouse as you're driving down the road. All of those things communicate really loudly. Quality time is the fourth one. So just spending time together. That's my wife's love language, by the way. If Mm. I really want her to just feel special to me, I need to carve out some space in my schedule and orchestrate some time together. It doesn't matter really what we're doing, honestly. But time is that thing that communicates my heart for her. And then the fifth one is acts of service. So this could be doing something for the other person, you know, emptying the dishwasher, you know, when it's not your turn and just doing something kind for the other person that uh, takes something off their agenda or uh, just helps them with their schedule during the day. For some people that just speaks the loudest. Wow, you really love me, you really care for me and that's really meaningful to me. So words of affirmation, gifts, physical touch, quality time, and acts of service.
0: I love I, the concept. One of the concepts that was new to me from look, reading through your book was the dialects that happen within there, that they can actually be subtle. And you talked about quality time with your wife. There was an example in the book of one one spouse, the prior spouse thought quality time was one thing versus this the current spouse thought quality time was another thing. So there are some nuances within that, right?
1: Yes. So people who speak English have different dialects within English. You go to different parts of the country and there's different accents or there's different terminology or wording, or they just say it in a little bit different way, but they're getting at the very same meaning. Those are all dialects in likewise. um, We all have a dialect to how the expression of this love language, what it looks like. So back to that example that you were talking about, one guy we interviewed, he said oh man my first wife her love language was quality time but for her what that looked like was doing things side by side just being out together we could be walking we could be uh, doing a task in the yard together and that that really counted as something time spent together he said uh we divorced uh, a few years later i married my second wife and her love language is quality time he said my first thought was oh i got this one down i know exactly what to do and so he would orchestrate doing things side by side and, and she was like no watching tv that's not quality time for me it's you and me looking at each other and maybe there's some conversation and there's and it's focused on our usness and that equals quality time okay well that's unique and different and that's just a different expression or dialect of that particular love language the point is We've got to study the people we love, whether it's a child or a spouse or whoever it is in our world, in our life, we've got to study them and learn what it is that really counts.
0: That's that's amazing. So the book is called Building Love Together in Blended Families, subtitled The, love Lang- the Five Love Languages and Becoming Step Family Smart, which is your brand, Step Family Smart, is that right?
1: Yes, it is. Uh, most of my books, The Smart Step Family, The Smart Step Mom, the smart stepdad it's all about helping people understand what do i mean by that helping them get smart about what step family or blended family living is like and why it is what it is and what you can do about it we really believe that that makes that is a game changer for blended family relationships when people understand what's happening and then can make choices so that they move in toward familiness together
0: well, that's fantastic. So, we do have some copies of the book that we can give away to people if you comment on our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or if you send me an email to subscribe at teachingyourtoddler.com. Uh, we will allow, we have some copies that we will be able to give away for this. So, one of the great things I think in the book is that you actually have a survey, not just for the couples to find out what their love languages are, but you also have the surveys that are specific to teenagers and children so that you can all sort of figure out. What what that works or how that works for your family as a group, right?
1: Yes, and the surveys are really good. I mean, you can go online to fivelovelanguages.com and do it online, but you can also get it within the book. And here's the unique thing about it: um, Let's say you're trying to discover one of your child's love languages. Not so much your toddler, but let's say you got an eight-year-old. Uh, there's a couple of ways you can do it without the survey. But the survey really helps. It really helps when you just kind of write down a few things and then compile that information um, uh, up into, uh, you know, what is their primary love language. Again, everybody needs all five over time, but when you really want it to count, it's good to know what that primary love language is. One of the things you can do as a parent is just make observations about what your child does to express love. So here's the giveaway, (laughs) whether it's a child or an adult. We all tend to do or to speak, if I could say it that way, the love language that we prefer to receive. And so a child who's always drawing pictures and handing you and say, Mommy, I, I love you, and just is giving you gifts. Mommy, I made this for you. And, you know, it's a pile of, I'm not sure what that is, but thank you for that gift. <laughs> That's a kid who's probably got a love language of gifts. They would love to receive something back from you. A child who always wants to be in your lap is very physical and touching and holding. Maybe it's physical touch. Again, those are hints that show you in that direction. And yes, this does apply to spouses as well. And even yourself, you might begin to think about, what is it that I find myself wanting from my husband or my wife? And what is it that I um, am always looking for and wanting to get? I give lots of compliments. I'm always complimenting on this or pointing out that or saying, I appreciate this. Maybe it's words of affirmation. Um, having that realization about yourself opens the door to, yeah, that's sort of what I long for. And wouldn't it be great if my husband knew that? And he was like, oh, that's. And then you start trying to figure out what their primary love language is. You know, this is ultimately here's what this is about service. It's about serving your spouse, serving the people you love in ways that are deeply meaningful. You love them. You want to be able to communicate that in ways that really touch their heart. This
0: just moves you closer to that bullseye. That's thank you. That's an amazing way to sum it up. But but now you do note in the book that love in a blended family looks a little bit different, doesn't it? Yes,
1: it does. It's defined differently. And and everybody can understand what I'm about to say, even if they've never really thought about it as it relates to a blended family specifically. When you, if you got married. <laughs> you acquired a mother-in-law and a father-in-law and maybe a brother sister-in-law or five of them. And, you know, just immediately, you know, there's some relationship that's already been built. Um, Sometimes people have spent lots of time with their future mother-in-law. And so by the time the wedding happens, there's a pretty deep connection there. And other people, like we lived across the country from them. And so we had five conversations, period. And I don't even know them at all. And so the question comes, all right, now you're married to their son or daughter. How do you introduce that person? You know, within six weeks of getting married, do you say, this is my mom? There are some people who introduce their mother-in-law as this is my mom. There are some people who hear what I just said and said, we will never introduce her as our mom, and (laughs) here's why. And uh, you know, there's a clear distinction about who is family and who is not. Everybody can relate to this. You have friends. Deep, close, personal friends that you would tell your worst nightmare and just your biggest sin to. You have other people that you would never let into that space, into your life or your heart. There are people who you're friendly with, but they're they're not BFFs, right? Okay, same thing's true in a blended family. On day one, you have people that are family. These are the people, we call them insiders. You're biologically connected. This is my brother, my sister, my mom. Your family, that's well-established. We have the same DNA. We have the same bloodline, same ancestry, history. We came through the same crap together when the family came apart. Like, we have been through hard. We're family. Now, you over there, stepbrother, stepmom, whatever the case may be, I'm still trying to figure out how to define this relationship, where to put you in my heart. Um, I like you. I love you. But I don't love you like I love my parents. So how do I love you and how much? Well, I'll tell you some things. And there are certain things I like doing with you. But that doesn't mean I let you into the really deep, uh, intimate places of my heart and my life. So there are expressions of love. And I think one of the big mistakes that step parents and bio parents make when they get married is the assumption that, hey, you and I love each other our kids are going to come along pretty fast. They always, they already seem to approve of you and us and it's all good. And so all of a sudden the adults think we're family with the kids, but the kids are like, well, you're like my (laughs) mother-in-law, you're, (laughs) you're family, but you're not my mom. And I don't like you acting like you think you're my mom. And I don't like you challenging my relationship with my biological mom. Like, that gets in the way of what's really important to me. So if, if adults don't understand this, Mary Jo, they make the big mistake of what I call blundering. You know, they're, they're trying to blend the family so hard. They force expectation on the children for a close relationship. They, they sort of demand love at a depth that only a child can decide if they want to give. You can't walk up to a new coworker at at your place of work and say, hey, I'm, I'm your new best friend. You can't do <laughs> that, right? I mean, they're like, who are you? And get out of my face. Like, no, you're not. Just because you ask for it or demand it doesn't mean I'm going to give it. And likewise, it's a big mistake to blender in a blended family. It creates resistance rather than softness. It makes people harder and withdraw and lean away rather than soft move toward and open up. So timing is everything and respect of those boundaries is everything.
0: Um, that that's so interesting. I don't think people would think they would they wouldn't think that you're a blended family, even if you aren't remarried, you are a blended family because of your in-laws. Like you said, it's not <laughs> something that you, you know, even if you've only been married once, you are a blended family. That is a really good way to look at it. I, I know on I, I wrote this sentence down from the book. It says, in some step families, only the couple has a need for a good blend while the children are fine if it never happens. So sometimes it might never it might never happen, right?
1: That's right. That's right. It depends on the expectation. Let's do an example that sort of makes the point. There's a lot of people later in life these days. I bet you some of your listeners right now are going, oh, my gosh, that's me. I'm the adult stepchild. My bio parent, you know, at age 55 or 60 or 70, just got married. And I became an adult stepchild. Like, that's weird. Like, you know, my dad's new wife is not my mom, but gosh, she lives with my dad and she's at every Thanksgiving and birthday and she's a part of the family. And she brought, you know, her adult children and grandchildren. So now there's 15 new people at our house at Thanksgiving. It does not even feel like family anymore. Like, I don't know how to go home because that's not my home. The people there are not my family. And yet I'm expected to think of them as family. That's a very common experience that people have. And so you are defining those new relationships and trying to get to the heart of how do we do this? What does this look like? Let me give you a quick little analogy I think lots of people can relate to right now in our world. We're experiencing this, how do you define the relationship thing? Socially across the world, across the globe. And it's because of the pandemic. Six feet away, wearing a mask. That's what they tell us we should be doing. But then you go into the world and guess what? There's some people who think six feet away really means two feet away and no mask. Mm-hmm. Like you walk into the grocery store and they're comfortable being right next to you. And you're like, I'm not so comfortable with that. Or maybe you're the one who's like, yeah, one feet away. That's good. I'm, I'm not worried about it. Other people are like, no, six feet away really means 10 feet away with a hazmat suit on.
0: Mm hmm.
1: Only then am I going to feel comfortable with the closeness or distance between us. Same thing. Like, you know, my dad's new wife, I want her 10 feet away with a hazmat suit on. That's the only (laughs) thing that I feel comfortable with. But she thinks it means two feet away. We, We got a problem. Like, we have got to figure out how this works, what it looks like have you walked into a social gathering and kind of looked at somebody like are we shaking hands are you are you shaking hands are we are we just still doing the elbow bump you know like you that's defining the relationship same thing happens in blended families on day one one of the things we put forth in this book that one of the wisdoms is okay now that you understand this dynamic how do you bond with a stepchild or you know how do you how do you navigate that little space well You can actually have a conversation around it with some people, some children, like they're old enough that you can have a dialogue like, hey, how do you want to introduce me? Um, I've got a new book coming out in a month called Preparing to Blend, and it's all for engaged couples before they get married. And one of the things we tell them is have a conversation around how are you going to introduce me uh, after the wedding? (laughs) We're, quote, family when you do when you, your teacher at school or, you know, one of your friends, are you going to what word do you want to use to introduce me? Is that mother-in-law or is that mom? Is that my husband's mother? Like, what does that look like for us? Um, Mama Deuce, <laughs> stepmom, bonus mom. <laughs> like, there's all kinds of fun terms. But what's comfortable to the child and to the adult is what the answer is. People say all the time, Ron, what's the right answer? What term should we use? I have no idea. You have to co-create that. In a way that makes sense for both of you and is comfortable for both of you and when you get to that that's the right answer so we invite them to dialogue what does six feet away mean how are we going to do this how do we start and by the way this is not where it's going to end up you're going to start there over time as a relationship grows then that six feet away or 10 feet away with a hazmat suit on might actually become eight feet and no hazmat or six feet with a mask or you know it will grow and change and evolve, but let's just get started with today.
0: That That's a great analogy, I think, and, and having that book, Preparing to Blend, is going to be such a great tool for parents, uh, especially as they go into this remarriage. Because I, I read in, in this book that it takes five to seven years to merge the family on average, Right.
1: It does. It is very much a year process, Multi year process for most step families, not months. Not days, mm-hmm.
0: which I think a lot of people need to manage that expectation for their yes. family. I loved the analogy you had in there. You you spoke you spoke about blending because and blenders have sharp edges, right? <laughs> like <the> instead <laughs> of a slow cooker where we go into the the recipe as full vegetables, right? And over time it blends and softens and becomes a stew, right? I love mm-hmm. that analogy.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, how do you cook a step family? It's with a crock pot. Um, Blenders and microwaves, fast, high, high heat, they destroy all the ingredients and just sort of force them together. Nope, that doesn't work. In real life, you want a lot of respect. Each ingredient for the other. Here's where you're at. Here's where I'm at. Let's find what we have in common. That's what we call low heat. In a crock pot, you do need a little heat, but it's low heat. It's not a pressuring, high heat forcing. It's a gentle. um, What do you and I have in common? Let's let's start with what... if I asked you, Mary Jo, to go out and you know, make a new friend today, like, hey, you got a new neighbor two doors down, go make friends with them. What you would not do is bang on the door, force your way in and demand they give you something to eat. <laughs> right. That's not making friends. Right. What would you do? You would knock on the door and wait. And if they came to the door and started talking through the door, you would have a little conversation through the door. Tell them who you are. Tell them why you're there gently, perhaps have a conversation when they open the door, you don't force anything. You make friends slowly over time. And then you go back and you go back and then you invite them over to your house. And one of these days they invite you in and hey, would you like a glass of water? Like we start sharing of ourselves, but that only comes with trust and finding things we have in common that naturally bring us together. And then we discover more things we have in common. Like, that's that's the same principle that step parents, stepchildren, step siblings need to have with one another. And when you do it at that gentle pace over time, that's crockpot, you finally get to something that's really good.
0: Oh, that's great. I know that um, in the book you talk a lot about the, the what we're really looking for is that need to feel safe and loved, right? Yes.
1: Yeah, that's ultimately what everybody's looking for. And let's remember that a blended family is not the beginning of the family story, it's the middle. And what I mean by that is, there has already been a lot of loss. There's already been love and then love lost. There has already been uh, stability from a child standpoint and then instability. Uh, there's been unwanted change and transition for kids, left and right, for many years, often before the blended family even starts. And guess what, I hate to say it, but more often than not, from the child standpoint, the new step family is another unwanted change. I want mom and dad to back together again. I don't want mom marrying somebody new. So from the child standpoint, it's more change and loss, change and loss. And if then, so that makes them sensitive, hypersensitive to people pushing into their world and asking for more from them and, um, Hey, you know, you should be happy that we got married and you, you now have a stepbrother. Aren't you thrilled? Like All those expectations on top of the pain that a child has experienced are really irritating. So when we, again, force a lot on a child and then expect love and connection, it's just a recipe for conflict. And so adults got to get this. I don't care if the children are... 35 years of age, they don't want anybody forcing themselves on them. Or if they're five years of age or 15 years of age, like it's, they have a timing of their own. One of the things I've learned about cooking, I'm so not a cook, but one of the things I learned from a (laughs) chef, he he heard me talking about this crockpot analogy one time. And he, and he said, you know what, Ron, you're right. You can't fool food. (laughs) Mary Jo Jo, I had no idea what he was talking about I said so what what are you saying to me he goes you can't make an ingredient cook faster than it will cook if you throw you're going to make stew and you throw celery and beef and carrots and potatoes and spices and water into a crock pot each ingredient will cook on its own time celery may be faster than the beef carrots may be faster than the potatoes they each have their own style and their own timing and you cannot force them to cook faster than they will cook it's built into who they are each ingredient in your blended family adult child doesn't matter has its own cooking style and pace and you need to find it and work with it otherwise you end up destroying that ingredients ability to soften and then share of themselves. So think of it this way. Let's apply a love language principle. Here's very practical, okay? So you find out your 14-year-old stepdaughter's love language is physical touch and you, you're a toucher and you'd love to give her hugs and you try that and it backfires and she's you, she bristles. I mean, you can feel it, it's clear. She's uncomfortable with that. So what do you do? Well, you back up and you try to find a form of touch that she can receive from you at this point in time. And it might feel very impersonal to you. It it might be that gentle touch on the arm when she's headed out the door in the morning for school. Just something very slight. And you're like, man, was that even meaningful? I don't even know. But it's what she will receive from you. Now, she turns the corner and gets a bear hug from her dad and her siblings. She's all about that with them. Why? Because those are defined relationships that are clear and safe for her. But it's unsafe with you for whatever reason. All right, don't be offended by that. It's not personal. It's about the ingredient. But what you got to do is trust that over time, little touches on the elbow will open the door to, oh, maybe a little shoulder nudge or, you know, when you're joking and having fun or before bedtime, something that's a little more physical. And one day it's a side hug. Someday with time, maybe, can't guarantee it, but maybe it'll become bear hugs. And when it does, that will be genuine, authentic, and a, a bi-directional hug. She will be giving and receiving because it's meaningful to her at that point in time. You just have to trust that we're starting soft and then moving forward is the way to go.
0: Oh, that's That's really great. I I, I love how you sort of um, explain the progression because it it is something that takes time. And uh, oh, man, I love that food analogy. That is that's such a good one that I mean, I think that makes sense for everyone because we all eat. So thank you for that. Um, I have one more question for you and then um, and then we'll wrap it up. But is there is there how does it change the dynamic when you when you add a, a child that is now a half sibling? Does that change anything about the family?
1: Yeah, you know, first of all, let me just talk around this a little bit, because there's some things we know, and there's a lot we don't know about this, okay? And let me just say, I I do talk about this in a number of resources that I've written. The Smart Stepmom, Smart Stepdad, both have entire chapters on that subject. I have my own podcast, Family Life Blended is the name of the podcast, the Family Life Blended podcast, and uh, we've done episodes on this subject. So um, if people want to learn more, there's certainly places where they can dive in and learn more. Here's, you know, from a research standpoint, it's it's a little hit and miss. I mean, there what we think in general is true is that you know, whatever is true about your family before you have that first hours baby will be true after. So if there's a lot of harmony, there's a lot of cohesiveness, people have come together nicely, there's been some time to cook and things are sort of stable after the 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 marriage and forming of the blended family then the hours baby can help solidify that. It can, it's sort of like, at last, somebody we're all connected to equally, you know. Now that's a lot to put on a child. You know, please hear that. You know, that's a lot of expectation. Um, But if the family's already there, it makes it easier for them to go there. But if there's conflict, if there's hardship, if there's, if a step-parent, for example, is having a real rough time with a step-child or maybe two or three of them, And now they have their own child. Imagine a stepmom who feels like an outsider and isolated in the family and has a hard time with her stepchildren. And then she has her own child. And all of a sudden, this child is easy. Those kids are hard. But this is easy. This is mine. and, And I'm comfortable. And this baby is totally into me. And we can really connect. And there's no question about the nature of our relationship. Hard is hard. Easy is really attractive. And now the rift between step parent and stepchildren gets bigger, gets wider, gets deeper. Now that contributes to more family division, not less. So <laughs> it seems to be driven by the overall health of the family, the timing of the new birth. Uh, how do other people see it? Are there kids who are in this home all, only sporadically? Or are they really a part of this new child's life? How does their life change as a result of the new baby? Uh, there's a lot of questions there. The one thing that, you know, what's the takeaway for people? If you're considering having an hour's baby, I would ask you to just pull back and look at the bigger dynamic and wonder with each other as husband and wife, what you think the impact might be. Spend a little time studying and reading and thinking about it. And if you're already moving in that direction, then it's like be very intentional with the other relationships in the home, because this transition will bring some ripple effects, some wanted, some unwanted perhaps. And so just don't take it for granted that um, that everything's gonna work out. Years ago, there were actually some people giving advice to folks and they said, yes, have that concrete child. And what they meant by concrete is, you know, it's sort of wet cement in your step family. You need to have a child that will be solid and concrete everybody else together. Well, that was bad advice. Because people did it, the timing was poor, their family wasn't ready, and it made things worse. There's no evidence to support the idea of a concrete child making things better across the board. What you gotta do is have some wisdom you gotta you gotta think about the bigger picture, look at it from the other children's point of view, and then perhaps the timing of having the hour's baby is what you will adjust
0: oh that that's fascinating i i had never thought of it that way so i'm i'm so glad you sort of explained through that i've never heard concrete child that's Interesting. So, well, thank you uh, so much for talking to us today. I mean, this has been a fascinating interview. I feel like I could just keep talking to you forever. But um, you spoke about your podcast, the Family yeah. Life Blended podcast. You have your new book coming out, Preparing to Blend, which I wish I had 15 years ago. I wish. But um, <laughs> uh, um, I'm so glad to hear about that. How else can people find you? Yeah, find us
1: at FamilyLife.com slash blended. com slash blended.
0: Perfect. And again, just a reminder, please, if you would like a copy of this book, um, The Building Love Together in Blended Families, please comment on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter for Teaching Your Toddler or send me an email at subscribe at teachingyourtoddler.com and uh, we'll try to get you a copy of this book. Ron, thank you again so much for joining us on the Teaching Your Toddler podcast. It's been a pleasure and I know this is going to be a very helpful episode.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: This has been the Teaching Your Toddler podcast with Mary Jo Tinlin. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you'll find us on our website at teachingyourtoddler.com as well as on Facebook at Teaching Your Toddler, on Instagram and on Twitter at Teaching Toddler. So join us again and I hope you have a wonderful week. Thank you so much.